the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking past the severe trials of your life to understand that even in the midst of them, you still have hope. Next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. It's hard oftentimes to see the light at the end of the tunnel, especially when the tunnel is so long, twisty, and dark. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose returns us to the book of Job. It's here that we take a look at Job's response to his friends who would seek to continually accuse him of wrongdoing when there was no wrongdoing. And in the midst of it all, Job has this amazing hope that is laid out for us. He knows that his Redeemer lives. Please join us for a very encouraging look at how to respond to turmoil, trials, and tragedy. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we are wise and we are humble, as we need to be, we will go to them. And we, when we go through our difficulty, and we will at least ask, will you pray for me? The Lord is really sifting me right now. And beloved, we get strength from that. But Job's friends there in verse 12, they become a troop of mockers. Notice Job uses the pronoun he there. Because he realizes throughout his sufferings that God has raised up these friends to trouble him and bring hardship to him. Verse 13, he has removed all of my family. My brethren are far from me. They've become like strangers to me. Verse 14, his closer family, they failed. His closest friends, which may or may not be those also who have been speaking to him this last week, have forgotten all about him. In his house, verse 15, his maids look at him and they barely recognize him. It's as if he is a stranger. Remember what he looked like. He lost weight. His skin was covered with boils. His skin was cracked and he was bleeding. Ugh, we don't want anything to do with this man. He says, it's gotten so bad, verse 16, that when I call, hey, I need a little water, his servants don't even answer him. Who is this man? And I don't think that Job is saying they're being insubordinate to him. They're just shocked by what's going on. Verse 17, my breath is offensive to my wife. Now, I don't think that means that Job's uh, thought he, he had halitosis. I think what he means here is that you would think I could go and lie in my wife's arms and she would at least comfort me. But it's like she doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Remember what Job's wife has already said. 
Job just curse God and die. And notice he says even more pathetically in verse 18, I just told her finally less for the sake of the children. Will you at least comfort me? You know, when husbands and wives have children, that is a blessing for God, and it is the fruit of the womb. It is their inheritance, and that should join them more closely together. But nothing would prevail on Job's wife. She stayed away from him. And you know, Job had quite a large household. He was a wealthy man. He had servants, and they all had children. And they probably looked at Job as Grandpa Job. And he probably liked to dote on them and watch over them and play with them. But they all looked at him and, ugh, who is this? They couldn't stand him. And they too stayed away from him. This is not a very pleasant picture of what happened to Job. And again, I think it is part of the uniqueness of Job's suffering. I I certainly don't think he's exaggerating here. I don't think he's just speaking out of some kind of madness. He was truly and completely forsaken by everyone that was close to him, including his own family. I'm sure he might have been tempted to think, well, who needs them anyway? Who do you think has been paying your bills? Who of you think has been praying for you all these years? Well, I think Job may have felt something of this. But I think it's more likely that he just knew. God is dealing with me inexplicably. And my sufferings are beyond the norm. And I think that is why he takes his friends to task for not recognizing this. He basically says here, no one has suffered like this. I don't believe he's making a martyr out of himself as much as he was just shocked of what was going on in his life. And he brings it forward here to beg pity from his friends as to say in verses 12 through 19, Can't you see how alone I am? Can't you see how everyone has forsaken me? You know, I think we would be as blind as moles, if we didn't see something here of the agonies of our Savior prefigured in Job. Jesus' disciples fled from him that last night. You remember? He was the butt of jokes. The Roman soldiers clothed him in a purple robe and put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him as he was suffering for the sins of the world. And he felt the weight of becoming sin for us, and he felt it completely alone. No friends, no comfort. Why did he endure this? Because he was our substitute, and as such, he had to endure it for us. Because that is what hell is. Hell is not so much sulfur and fire, even though I believe it is that. Hell is, you are alone to gnaw on your sins without any hope of mercy or repentance from God forever. And the Lord Jesus took all of that upon himself for us, to bear the full weight of our curse and judgment 
But do remember, He has risen. So when we go through seasons, and maybe you have felt this way, no one really understands what I'm going through. Maybe you've gone through periods when you didn't have anyone you felt you could bear your soul to. Maybe you were afraid how they would interpret what you were saying, afraid they would whisper about it to other people. After all, this is a whispering age, a very unfriendly age. We just never know where what we say is going to go. So let's say that we really are alone. Our family and our friends have forsaken us. Well, we have a friend who sticks closer than even a brother. And notice how he describes himself in Hebrews 4. And we need to cling to this. And we need to trust our Savior. And remember, this is why he became the man of sorrows. Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing that, then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And notice there in the middle, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Every woe that his children would ever have, he took upon himself. So that we would know that we can always rely upon the rock of ages. Beloved, Jesus knows what you're going through. He helps me. He is always interceding for me. He is faithful and unchanging in His love. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you feel alone, where do you go? When you feel tempted, when you are tempted, when you are besieged, when you do suffer, where do you go? Well, it's not. Well, no one understands me. Don't say that. Because the most important someone does understand. And we are to go to him and cry to him and pour out our soul to him. And he will help us. Job in verses 22 through 24 as he gets ready to move to the end here. He utters perhaps the most heart-rending words. In fact, it's more like a scream than anything else. He says, My bones cling to my skin and flesh, and I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Job either cannot or will not eat because of grief or because of his body illness, and he is just barely alive. And you know, we've said it many times, I've gotten by by the skin of my teeth. Then in verse 20, a cry escapes from his lips. Pity me, pity me. Oh, my friends, the ones that he has been criticizing for vexing his soul, teasing him with their words, those he has taken to the woodshed for the lack of understanding. But now he's looking at them, and the only thing left to hug is dust and ashes. 
He has nothing left to hug. He believes that God is killing him, that God has become his enemies. It's like a cry from the depths. And he looks at these men and he says, please have pity on me. Now remember who this is that's begging here. This is Job, one of the holiest men who ever walked this earth. And he is begging for mercy. Begging his worthless counselors to give him a little pity and a little mercy. Again, here we have echoes of Jesus. Remember Jesus virtually said, Peter, James, John, these are the three that I've got. These guys are over there snoring like sawing logs. And here I am in the Garden of Gethsemane fighting for the salvation of the world, submitting to the will of my Father, and they are over there sleeping. And this is what we should hear when he asked them, couldn't you watch with me for an hour? Well, that wasn't simply, could you please pray with me for just an hour, because praying is so important. That is not what he was saying. He was like, Could not you, when I have loved and served you, not watch with me? I'm the Son of God about to pour out my soul unto death and even pouring it out now to my Father. Don't you love me? Couldn't you just watch with me a little while to comfort me? We, beloved, are so cold many times to the suffering of others. And Job just begs his friend. You know, even if we're not particularly suffering at a given time of life, and yet we see our brothers and sisters who are suffering over something, or we see a young man's face or a young woman's face that tells us something is wrong, they're going through something that is difficult, or maybe we're talking to someone and there's just a little tear in the corner of their eye, or maybe we listen to them pray in a small group and there's a tone there that says this person is troubled. But I say, I need to get out of here. Because if I ask how they're doing, Niagara Falls is liable to start. No, beloved. We need to get under that water. As I said earlier, no brother or sister in Christ should ever have to beg us to have pity upon them. If they have to, we must be cold-hearted and forgotten that the Lord is gracious and we need to go back and taste again. This is how the Savior had mercy on me. It was my hell. It was my cries in the garden. It was my cries on the cross. It would have been my cry in hell forever. He says, why have you forsaken me to this wretched place, O my God? But he took that all upon himself, our Lord. So when we cry or see our brothers and sisters who need our help and our encouragement and our prayers... We need to leave our phony citadels of pride and our pretenses of having it all together and our fear of, well, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to get involved in all that mess. I don't want to know what's going on in his life. And then I'll be troubled. This is the way Job's friends treated him. 
And we're going to see how strongly God condemned them. As you see, at the end of the book, God says, you go and crawl back to Job. And you ask him for his forgiveness. Oh, he will pray for you. And I will receive you again. But only if you go back and grovel. Let me say this. God hates cold, merciless hearts. He hates them. David said in Psalm 1825, with the merciful, you will be merciful. In chapter, Matthew chapter 18, at the end of the peril, parable of the unforgiving servant, verse 33, his Lord, after he called him, said, oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of your debt because you desired it of me. Should you not also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother who trespasses. We are to extend mercy and forgiveness. This does not mean we merit mercy by showing mercy. But it means if we have tasted it, we are to show it. We don't merit mercy by mercy. But if we have tasted the kindness of the Lord Jesus, we are to share it with others. But Job's friends, verse 22, they are persecuting him as they, as they stood in the place of God. And he says to them, you are not satisfied with my flesh. Job says, in effect, it is as if you are, eat, you are feasting on my misery. Now, drowning in grief, Job utters almost the most famous words in the Bible. He says, oh, that my words were not written, that they were printed in a book, that they were engraved with an iron pen and in a rock forever. Now, I think this is meant to be an introduction to the most famous words in the book in verse 25. And that may be the case. But what Job is not doing here is writing these lines as a poet in his leisure time. This is a poem. But trust me, this is not some poem he just set down, not facing the reality of what's really going on in his life. God is afflicting him. Maybe you have never been touched like this. I know I certainly have not. Maybe you've been kind of insensible to God's dealings in your life, and it's time for you to wake up. Because God does touch us. He touches our children. He touches our health. He touches our idols. He touches things we thought we had all together. And then he brings them all down like a house of cards, because he says, there is nothing lasting but my word. And your programs and your ideas and how you have your life all set up nice and pretty, that's not how I run the universe. But Job here speaks beyond all feelings. And he's again gone probably a little bit too far. He wants all of his sufferings permanently recorded, 
permanently written with an iron pen. He says, in so many words, put them on Mount Jobmore. Write them up there so that everyone will know and see what's happening to me. That no one has ever been treated like I've been treated. I've lost everything. And above all, God has abandoned me. The God I love, the God I will trust has abandoned me to destruction and to the grave. And he has no comfort at all. You see, Job sees no light at the end of the tunnel. He sees his grave in front of him. In his mind, he is shattered beyond all hope of recovery. And remember... This has all happened in about a week's time, very quickly. And his friends, when he needed them to comfort him, they're nailing him to the cross of their pride and their own vanity. But here at this very low point, in fact, this may be the lowest point in all of the exchanges exchanges with his friends. There is something else at work here in Job. Verse 25 to the end of the chapter. There is another dynamic at work here. Job is a man of faith. We should have no doubt about Job's integrity after reading these lines because his faith is speaking here. Faith is speaking things even Job cannot fully comprehend or understand. You know, there are all kinds of critics who look at these lines, for I know my Redeemer lives and he still stands in the latter days. And they think Job could not have possibly been talking here about the resurrection and about the Redeemer because he couldn't believe anything beyond what his reason would have taught him. He couldn't see anything beyond his own circumstances or common religious notions of the day. But remember something about faith. Faith comes from God. Faith is latched to God unbreakably. And whenever faith is assailed, it goes back to the Father. And you may think to yourself, if you're going through things right now, all I need to do is pray. Well, let me tell you, you're doing the right thing. Because that is where real faith goes. Faith comes from the Father. It's not something we conjure up. It's not, well, I walk the aisle, I'm good to go. I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card. You may be in hell one day looking at that card thinking, well, I, I did walk the aisle, I did pray the prayer, and here I am in hell. No real faith comes from God, and it changes the life. And whenever there is trouble and the fires burn around, it all goes back to God. And faith can see things at a distance that the believer cannot fully grasp with his reason, as we see here. Or even articulate with his words. And that is how Job speaks. Remember, that's where he is in verses 23 and 24. Just Write down all of my sufferings. Get a pin of iron and write on the side of a rock. No one has ever suffered like Job. But oh yeah, there is a redeemer. In Hebrew, that word means kinsman redeemer. And Job says, in the midst of all of this, I know that I have a redeemer. Someone who is close to me. And yet... It feels like 
He's become my enemy. But faith here sees something else. Faith sees beyond or behind God's discipline, behind God's chastening, behind death. His love. He has purposes in thing, these things I cannot fathom, and I don't need to. All I need to do is hold on to my Redeemer because He will vindicate me. He will plead for me. He will deliver me from my troubles, and He will preserve me. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 